inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. Radio Western. Hello, good morning. Welcome to Outlook. It is the last episode here of November. Yes, can't believe it. Oh, I don't uh, hear you carry on the air. Give me a second. Uh, hello, hello. Can you hear me now? There we go. There we go. <laughs> I am here. Different mic today, but I think I got you through now. So Awesome. All right. So, uh, yeah, welcome. And uh, how you doing today, Care? I'm good. Uh, Christmas music... I got a lot of that playing, and we're less than a month to go for Christmas, and uh, yeah, just happy to be back on Outlook today live in studio, and thanks everyone for tuning in at the beginning of a brand new week here. Yeah, you were at my place actually all weekend again, just like last week, we've been working on a project, which we'll, we'll talk about, tell our listeners about on a future show maybe, but... Uh, yeah, lots lots coming up in the new year, hopefully, to talk about. For sure, and uh, before we do, we welcome our guest today, I just wanted a quick mention off the top that we were actually last week recorded for the podcast called Limitless, the Limitless podcast, which is actually a podcast run by Sean Marcelet, a guest that we had on a few weeks ago from Blind Beginnings, a great organization out west here in Canada. So thanks again to Sean Marcelet for having us on Limitless, the Limitless podcast. You can look it up. It'll be coming out, I think it's tomorrow or Wednesday, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it on a future show. But uh, Yeah, they, they usually release their episodes Tuesdays, and so we recorded it last Tuesday. And, and I just have to say that I uh, appreciated the invite after she was on here. Um, and if you haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. Uh, interesting lady and the work she's doing to help children get a great start to life, blind children on the West Coast there. Uh, so, But yeah, it was great to be on a show, wasn't it, Brian, where we were being interviewed, so we didn't have to worry about the usual things we have to keep in mind when we're running. <laughs> yeah, it is different to be on the other end of it sometimes because it's... Uh, For sure. It always gives you a bit different different feel. And yeah, yeah, it was a few weeks ago that Sean Marsley was on our program, so you can look that up. And we'll definitely share the Limitless episode that they uh, had us on uh, when, it's, when it's released later this week. So stay tuned to our social media facebook.com slash outlook on radio western or you can just look up the limitless podcast online mm-hmm. so yeah let's talk to our guest today uh lots to talk about uh, a nice array of topics and uh so our guest today is kelly evans and thank you kelly for coming on outlook oh no problem thank you for having me i'm i'm, I'm quite excited to be here yeah, it's great. It's always great to have guests. We've had so many guests on this year and just keep coming. It's great to just meet so many people and make so many connections virtually. You know, a lot of these guests we've never actually met in person, but it's just so amazing these days, especially with technology and the way we can really connect and, and have so many different uh, people on our show to give their perspectives on so many different areas. And, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really a pleasure to have you on today, Kelly. Thank you. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm very excited to be here. So yeah, maybe if you want to start just by letting us, our listeners, know where where you're calling in from and uh, and how how things are going today and uh, and wherever you're calling from. Uh, well, I'm calling from the boomtown of Oshawa. Um, I moved here from Toronto about five years ago. Um, it's it's actually quite nice outside, believe it or not. I mean, all the all the trees are bare, but the weather is actually quite clement. I might go for a little walk to the art gallery later. So yeah, it's 
not bad. Nice and quiet, which is nice. No drama. <laughs> Appreciate the foreshadowing because we're actually, we have a guest coming in a few weeks who we're going to talk about art galleries and accessibility. So, I, you know, I grew up with oh, low nice. vision. Uh, as a child, I had low vision and I loved visual art. Uh, but uh, art galleries, it's a topic I like to talk about along with our topic today, which is audio description, which... We've talked a lot about recently, including with a guest a couple of weeks back again, uh, Ruth Barrett, who does audio describing for Stratford Festival and a lot of other programming, streaming service stuff. And um, but yeah, I love talking about talking about audio description. And um, but art galleries is a second close second for me. Um, so I don't There's know what the accessibility just, is like. Just as an aside, I guess. Yeah, go ahead. I, well, I, um, the the place that I'm going to, they're still, they're very, they're actually very accessible. They're starting to get really, really great into it. But um, nice. I used to live in London, England, and just as an aside, um, a lot of the museums are starting to actually put Braille on, um, like on the signs, like the little plaques in front of objects, and they'll actually have objects out for people to touch. So it's actually very cool. Yeah, we were actually at the ROM in in Toronto, the museum. Uh, you know, back in the summer and uh, it was nice. They did have Braille in a few spots there as well. And I haven't been to tons of museums myself, but you know, same with art galleries. I haven't been to that many, but it's, it seems like so many places are gradually becoming more and more accessible, which is just, it's nice to see. It's a, it's a slow pro- process sometimes, but at least it's, it's starting to happen and it's only going to get better. I hope so. I think that's the same with the audio description as well. It's, 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 it seems to be taking off recently. Um, I've been doing this for three years now, so um, but yeah, sorry, we're jumping ahead a little bit and getting off topic. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, I, I'll just say that uh, I met you in a Facebook group about audio description, and uh, there's a lot of great conversations in those groups from people who are doing the work and from users of the services, and a lot of back and forth dialogue about how to improve it and make it as, as good as it can be for everybody involved. And we really appreciate people who like yourself who who take an interest and and learn it and learn to do to do a good job and and do it well. I actually enjoy doing it. Um, as a novelist, I'm finding that it actually stretches my writing skills. And I do have um, I do have relatives who um, are partially sighted or um, have, have difficulties. And mm-hmm. I've been involved. I actually was involved with the um, I think it was called the Canadian National Institute for the Blind one years ago when I was in high school. And I, I used to go there and um, help them with lending out the the tape, you know, the books on tape for people and things like that. And, um, so I, I've had a connection to this sort of like um, this path accessibility for most of my life. And I do have relatives, like I said, that are, are partially sighted. So um, yeah, no, it's great to actually be involved in it. It's fantastic. I'm, I'm really happy to be helping out. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because when we have guests on who, who do audio description or are involved in that, in that world, we often do wonder if they have any connections to disability or blindness or how that, how that comes about. I mean, we've had some, I think, care that weren't, that didn't even have that connection because it is a you know obviously it's like something anyone can do even if you don't know anyone who is who is uh, partially sighted or, or blind or whatever it may be but at the same time sometimes you wonder how somebody makes that connection or realizes this is a thing because there's still a lot of people out there that don't really know much about audio description or, or don't even think about it and and it's uh, so it's just something we that's why we like to talk about it more and more on the show just to bring more awareness to it. Well, I really appreciate it because as an audio description writer, when I tell people about my job, they automatically think it's closed captioning I do. So they, they're kind of like, oh, you write the little words that come at the bottom of the screen. And I'm like, no, let me explain it to you. And it's, 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 I, I treat it as a, a you know, a, um, a learning opportunity. 
Um, it's, it's the same way. I'm a, I'm a type one diabetic and I have been for 50 years. That's five zero, by the way. So that gives an indication of how I got it when I was really young. Um, <laughs> but when I, when I was really young, um, one of the main causes of blindness in Canada was actually type one diabetes. Mm-hmm. And I did have a, I did have a scare, uh, with my eyes when I was in my teens and it, it scared me so much. I, uh, that was it. Um, so I had, so nowadays with the treatments and things for especially for the diabetes i can only speak about that um it's less of an issue but i've always grown up with you've got to be careful you got to watch your sugars otherwise you go blind that was like it was just black and white watch your sugars oh you go blind and i was like oh so like i was terrified the whole time um Mm. But yeah, it's, it's so it's explaining when instead of type one diabetic, people automatically get type one and type two mixed up, that sort of thing. Yeah. People do get um, closed captioning and, and audio description. Um, so I have to explain that you know if you can't see, you can't read the words on the screen. So what I'm doing is, you know, I'm filling in the gaps between dialogue on a TV show so people know what's going on. Um, but there's a lot of confusion about it. Yeah, and there's very very little um, common knowledge about it. You're right. Yeah, I mean, we talk about that all the time, and on the show, it obviously started with the two of us as siblings who are blind, uh, but we talk about disability more broadly, and we have some chronic illness things, but, you know, deaf, being deaf and not being able to uh, hear, you know, that the words on the screen is sort of opposite needs being met there and so you come sometimes we crisscross yeah because we can't obviously so it's a, but yeah it, it's you know closed captioning's been around long enough now uh that that's mm. standard on people's tvs and and a lot of people and what we talk about all the time is universal design type topics where some people maybe they're starting to lose their hearing a little bit or maybe they're in a loud place and just having the closed captioning at the bottom of the screen is an extra feature so that they can keep up with what they're watching. <laughs> they read it as they're trying to listen. Cool. And so some of these services, this, the same with audio description, I think it is it is an art. And as you say, you're a writer yourself and those skills are quite transferable. Then audio description you know, it can be a fascinating art and, and sighted people could get something from it. It's like if you maybe want to focus on something else while you're watching a program, you can step away and not have to look at the screen. If you turn on audio description, you could still be following along the show. So there's ways that That's, it can yeah, apply. I was actually, yeah, I was just going to mention that actually. I know um, a few yeah. of my friends are like, oh, they didn't know it was called audio description. Sometimes right. it's called um, uh, DV, described video. Mm-hmm. And they they actually turn it on in the background while they're like in the kitchen or doing laundry or you know whatever they're pottering around the house. Yeah. Um, so I know sighted people do use it. Um, the thing is though that we need to get and I know that um, the Facebook group that we're members of and Ruth is amazing by the way I love her. Um, oh yeah, you're familiar with Ruth. Li- Oh, she does live audio description. Yeah. I can't even fathom. I know that was such a fascinating episode. Live. Yeah. Like, you have to be so quick and yeah. just oh I I'm in an I'm in awe of someone who can do that because um, at the moment I, I do do shows that are um, sort of like on live television but at the moment I'm actually focusing on a huge back catalog for um, my my current employer um, so there's like so I'm I'm doing stuff that's you know potentially a few years old and it's but oh god yeah I'm no oh, I'm in awe of Ruth. Um, but sorry, I lost what I was going to say. Oh, the Facebook group. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of advocacy for 
thankfully, for getting more audio description out there because a lot of the trouble is, like I went onto Netflix yesterday just to have a little look around and some of the new shows, like for example, Wednesday, just for an example, it's the new, one of their latest shows, does have audio description. But if you go back and look at some of their older ones, they do not have audio description. It'll be patchy. They'll have it for one season and not for the rest, um, which is, I think, partially why I'm, I'm going through. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have this huge back catalog to be working on. Um, so hopefully a lot of these will be you know, loaded up so people will have the back catalog dialogue. But yeah, I think um, over the last few years, I think with the amount of advocacy, especially in the United States, um, TV... I mean, companies are starting to realize this is a valuable service. We need to do this. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's slow and people don't realize at first how valuable and needed it is and why it matters so much. And that's why I do mm. talk about it so often on this show. And people who may not have heard our previous shows on the topic may tune on tune into this one. So I want them to know that it's out there in case they ever need it. As you said, you know, yourself, you with your diabetes you could have lost your sight and and so anybody mm. could need it at any time and uh, I've always been into watching TV and movies and not every blind person is but it's great that we can and family like in, our, in my case family listen to it as well and some people find it irritating but most people find it interesting and and so when you like especially going to a movie theater uh, when it works at a movie theater oh <laughs> we have had bad experiences, yeah. but it's just nice to be able to go with a, a sighted friend or family or on a date. And if you just have a little headset or earbud in, you can watch the movie with everyone else and and just um, enjoy it like anyone else. But it takes a while for people to know that it's out there. And, and yeah, I think it was was it, it the new was it the new Jurassic Park a few years ago. I went to a movie with a friend of mine, and I I haven't been to too many movies. Like unlike Carrie, I've I do like some TV and movies, but I didn't quite get into it as much as, as her growing up. I could see a little less, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. There's no. Anyone could be in, into different things no matter how much or little you can see. But it was also, music was more my thing. But uh, I got into it, some stuff and I, I went to the movie with my friend there at the theater here in London and it was one of the times where the audio description actually did work great. So it can happen and it, <laughs> it, it, it just felt awesome. We were sitting in the, they have a lot of comfortable chairs now in theaters and just yeah. to be able to go with my friend and, and put on the headset and be able to follow along and enjoy the movie with him. It was, it was really a great great experience so I think um I think if the writing is done well and then obviously because it's it's a it's a collaborative process so basically it's um just to give an just to give people an idea that might not know of the entire process basically what happens is um a company that's just say like so my boss for example the people I'm working for um they will get um a bunch of files that need to be done it might be two or three different tv shows some of them could be dramas some of them could be you know com comedies um in in this case I'm doing like I said a, a lot of legacy shows um I'm not gonna I'm, I can't tell you what specifically what I'm working on but um <laughs> but yeah so there's a lot of this yeah so there's a huge back catalog of stuff um, so basically, we get assigned, the writers get assigned um, the TV shows, the episodes to do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we go in and write the scripts. The scripts are then, um, so we're, we don't stand alone. We're not siloed. So it's, like I said, it's very collaborative. So someone will check our scripts to make sure that, you know, spelling, errors, grammar, like everything. It's not just a, you can't just get away with, um, you know, no grammar basics and that kind of thing. It, it has to be done properly. Because um, sometimes the people who actually want the described video done 
um, will also want a copy of the, um, the, the script as well. So it has to be professional. And then once that's done, the script gets handed over to um, a voice actor who will then read the script and then that'll be recorded. And then the whole thing is sort of packaged up by engineers and sent back to the back to the client. That's a very, very simple, basic way how this works. But the point is, it's very collaborative. Um, I work with my boss very carefully. I work with the voice actors. We email each other all the time. Um, if we're doing something and there's a name we can't get, or if there's, you know, how do we do subtitles properly? How do we do this? How do we, you know, um, we, we've got answers and we've got people helping us with that. So it's, yeah, it's it's not just uh, one person sitting in, you know, a, a basement writing scripts. It's And if it's done well, um, and again, from the Facebook group, I've, I've, I've talked to and, and heard people talking about this. When it's done well, it's quite a transformative experience for people. Um, because if, if you if, if you've got the experience with it, I'm not going to brag, but if you've got the experience, you kind of get to know the ebb and flow of the language, depending on if it's a movie, if it's a drama, if it's a comedy, comedy, short, clippy jokes, very short, clippy descriptions, uh, leaving enough room for, you know, weird noises or laughter, things like that. Dramas, more drawn out, elevated language. There's lots of, you know, long lingering gazes and how do you break up long descriptions. So there's 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 an art to it, but when it's done well, I'm and that's what my goal is to make sure that I do it as as well as possible. I'm hoping that it's a, a transformative experience for people. Yeah, that's the thing is there's so much content out there now with streaming services, and even before that, Brian and I used to get the VHS tapes in the mail with audio description. You'd order mm. from a catalog out of Boston, and now I have a setting on my television, just on my regular cable that. Most of these networks, like, you know, Global and, you know, City TV and CTV and all these ones, most programming, especially in the evenings, now has these things. And uh, it's just so much content, but you hope that it's done well. And as you say, why I love it is it's collaborative. And if a company takes Mm. it seriously and they realize that they need to work it in their budget and it's just as important as closed captioning or anything else else they do for accessibility that they need to take it seriously and actually not skimp on it uh, because it's it matters to people then there's so many options for it now and with like you say netflix and all these things it's out there you you often have to go into your menu to get it to turn on uh, so if you don't know where to yeah. look for it, you might not how to know how to get it. But there's ways to just reach out if you need it, and uh, someone will direct you on where to go. Uh, but the collaborative thing is great. Uh, I recently started doing some quality control as a blind user, but also as a oh, nice. as a writer and a and a creative person myself. I I love um, the quality control because then you're including the blindness blind population in the collaborative process process, and yeah. you're getting lived experience feedback and working alongside blind people who can give you their feedback from a lived experience perspective. And so this is it. Right? So I worked recently yeah. on a political um, so ad. Uh, so very brief little ads about the Roe versus Wade um, reversal stuff in the U.S. And uh, so, yeah, I give my thoughts on, you know, well, is this, this isn't well enough described. And so I work with people like yourself, the cited writers, the cited, uh, you know, producers of this stuff so that we can make it the best possible product it can be. 
So let me, again, I, I know I'm sort of, I guess you're supposed to be asking me questions, but I have a question for you no, actually, as a, as That's a writer, yeah. as, as, well, especially as a cited writer. It just, it gives me an opportunity to talk to people who, especially a quality control person, because I used to be in, um, I, 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 I didn't really go into my background. I, I kind of grew up in Canada, went to university here. Um, I moved to England, um, lived over there for nearly 20 years. Somehow I got into finance and investment banking and I saw project two different management. worlds there. Yeah, lot, lots of different yeah, paths yeah, there, have, which is have, interesting. Yeah, I've got I've got humanities degrees, but I found out quite early that I, I'm really good with technology. And so I somehow, I, I was terrible at math in high school, just terrible. But somehow I got into project managing um, IT people on trading floors doing exotic derivatives and all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's just, it's been a quite an astonishing life so far. Um, and yeah, while I was there, I worked at, I worked at one of the museums over there, I worked at the Victorian Albert Museum for uh, a few years before while I was, you know, getting my, getting my, working my way up to what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, sorry, now I don't remember why I started this. I was like, why am I telling you about myself? Oh, I wanted to ask you a question. Yeah. yeah um, so yeah, anyway, I moved, I moved back to Canada and, and I started writing my own novels and then got into the describe video. Um, but as a, as a quality control person, do, have you ever really had to, like, is it difficult for you to tell a writer that their work just isn't up to speed? Like, how do you handle that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, or have you been lucky enough to not really have anything that bad mm -hmm. I also so I'm a writer myself uh, but as, yeah. as, a, as a writer I've um, I've started doing another kind of work called sensitivity reading or authenticity reading where not yes, everybody I'm, I'm, yeah. have you heard of that? I Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, 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 yeah. I, I have to sometimes put content warnings, even with the historical fiction. Of course, because yeah. sometimes history is just right. not. Yeah, putting in the perspective. Um, yeah, no, I'm sense. very. Yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar with that. Yeah, no, I'm really familiar with. That. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it. I mean, and, and any job where you're actually giving feedback to someone else, not everybody is very comfortable doing that, right? You're worried. Someone like me, I, I used to more than now even be worried about offending people and and you know, oh the so and so won't yeah. won't like me if I if I if I'm honest about how this how this is working or not working for me. But uh, as I've gotten older I realized as a writer myself, feedback is valuable and it depends on how it's presented, yeah. right? So you have to be collaborative with people and not every relationship is going to be as comfortable and, and it's natural. And so sometimes, you know, two people just won't sort of jive. And but you hope that people are open to feedback because that's the way you you, you know, progress in what you're doing. And so you have to find people who are open to feedback. And as like I said, as a writer, I understand what it's like. It can sting sometimes, uh, but if you're going to be closed yeah. closed to it and you're going to get defensive too easy then it's just not going to work and it maybe not the right field for you i guess um but uh, there's an art to it and yeah, it's great to say what you like about something and, and and what's not working and then try and work together to to improve uh, from there i think that's great i'm 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 yeah i'm really i would love to work on with someone like you on some of my shows because right at the moment i i think it's just mostly cited people who sort of review my work um well that's yeah, the thing but right no that's interesting thank you for yeah and that's yeah. what we're kind of trying to 
really start talking about more on this show, and that's you know part of why we do this show is to you know we talk often about the unemployment rate in the blindness community and how unfortunate that is that there's so much t- the talent pool out there that just isn't being tapped into, and it comes it goes for so many disabilities and so many different um, segments of the population out there, but. It really is important, I think. To, and again, again, it's not like you know, no, no sighted people can give feedback either. But it really is the users of the content that really need to be involved in the process. And I really like Kelly how you outlined the entire process of audio description there. And and I think that just gives the listeners a bit of an idea of that it is a collaborative thing, and it's not just one person doing everything. Mm. And and I also was interested a little bit that you, 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 I think you said so. You're a script writer more so. So do you not? Do you actually voice audio description ever, or are you just more in the writing process? And, and in, the, in that sense, why do you? No, do? Is there no. a reason that you prefer? I know you're you're also an author. So is there a reason you prefer one over the other, or how you got into that compared to actually voicing any of the description, or or kind of the specifics uh, that you that you do in audio description? I don't know. I'm I'm a writer, so I was naturally attracted to the writing element of it. And right. I I just don't. I for one, if I did want to um to do the like to do the voicing the voice work, you, you really have to have a professional setup. Yeah. Um, and that's not something that's not something that I'm prepared to do. I've got my office set up perfectly for writing. It is not set up for. <laughs> <laughs> that's why, like, I'm, I'm. It's just not set up for that sort of thing. And I just um, I like. I don't know. I mean, I understand that. I guess it's the same reason I don't want to be an actor. Like, I just, I understand that there are good actors and bad actors, the same as there are good writers and bad writers. And I can appreciate a good actor. And I can appreciate that some people have a natural talent for it. Same with any skill. People think, um, you know, I think, you know, oh, anybody can write a book and anybody can be an actor. I've watched. I've watched lots of TV. I can be an actor, you know, that sort of thing. It's just, it's not true. People put work into it. There are natural abilities. Um, I can appreciate actors, but I just don't want to be one. I don't want to, it's just not something I'm interested in. And it's mm-hmm. the same with the voice acting. I know that I love when you get a, like I, 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 um, my, like my books are on, um, audible and I, I listen to audible books occasionally. When you get a really, really good describer, a really good, you know, reader, voice actor, it just makes such a huge difference. And I don't feel I could do that justice. Um, whereas my strengths lie more with the writing. So I'm just going to stick with that. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering in the sense that when I did hear your voice here for the first time today, I thought like you're, I think you do have a very strong voice and I think that it actually would work well for the, the description. But at the same point, I also understand, you know, that you, you are an author as well. And that would make total sense that you would want to be part of the writing side of things in that sense. And I, it, that makes a lot of sense as well. I would, I would well, say there's so. more, there is more to it than just that you have a good right. voice. It does take like yeah, said, yeah. training to be able to voice it. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds natural and that because we we say all I say all the time is that we don't want it to be jarring. We want the narrator of the actual the stuff that you write and that others like myself consult on. We want it to be uh, part of the, the whole package of the program. And if it's if it's too jarring and it's not done well, then it it takes you out of the show, especially if it's fiction, uh, not documentary, then it's it's really important that you don't the voice doesn't stand out it complements the show well it's funny you say that because as an author um one of my main things i get my before i release a novel i send it out to a group of people my beta readers right. and basically i tell them to tear it apart right. so basically i and, and one of the yeah, i'm just getting back to the criticism it's like let me have it because i understand that the criticism is only going to make my writing stronger 
And so I tell them, you know, go ahead. But the one thing I do tell them is, because um, a couple of them, you, have to, you, you provide guidelines. And one of them is, if anything pulls you out of the story, I need to know. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything jarring, anything that takes you out of the story. And it's the same with the audio description, at least from the script writing point of view. If you don't match... If you do like um, a, like if you use like dramatic writing like like writing you would pro- you would use for a dramatic show like a, a dramatic fictional hour long show for example and you put that into a half hour comedy it's not going to work it's just going to take your viewer right out they're going to go like that doesn't make sense that's not so basically what I try to do is match the tone of my writing to the tone of the show so that it sort of morphs into the whole thing and then the voice actor will then pick it up from there and i've worked with some really good voice actors um and they pick it up from there and make sure that it it all flows so exactly like you say you don't want people being you know pulled from the pulled from the show um the other thing i i do with my with my writing is i don't dumb it down i will use um like i won't okay so i've done children's shows before um uh, like I've done 80 scripts for children's shows. So obviously you match the language. But for example, if I'm doing a high a high drama, I won't dumb down the language because again, that's going to be jarring as well. You want to have the, the, the language matching the dialogue and you want to have the same. So it's funny, I'm doing, um, I'm doing a show right now that um, it's a drama and you find dramas generally don't have as much language as at least not in my experience there are a couple that there are exceptions um and by language i mean you know quite sweary um whereas comedies tend to be you get a little bit more raunchy with the comedies because it's the jokey element mm-hmm. but i'm working on a show now that is it's <laughs> well yeah it kind of surprised me they they just they use this you know the c word in the first 10 minutes i'm like oh whoa okay um wow. so i then can take liberties with my language so instead of saying buttocks i can say ass just as a very simple example of how the language changes depending on the genre and and the scripts i love that you point that out i mean i watched this movie that t- i'm sure we'll talk about again carrie on this, this show oh, yeah. sort of a controversial thing in, in in some ways especially that our show is really trying to focus on you know changing perceptions about blindness but it's a movie originally a book called blindness and it happens a lot of times with with different movies that I've seen too, where sometimes there is a very sort of intense, aggressive, difficult scene. But sometimes it's like, where did the audio describer go? They're not really explaining anything, and it's <laughs> I get it that some topics are difficult to talk about, but it's like this movie's already discussing this stuff, and it's already in the movie for the viewers that are experiencing it. So you can't you can't shy away, and I really appreciate that. Even if even if you're not doing the voicing in these in these in in audio production or audio description, I should say. You're still really basing it on what the what the content is of the 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 show or the movie that you're describing and and catering your description to that. So I just think that is uh, very interesting and glad that you brought that up for anyone who is listening today. We're speaking with Kelly Evans, audio description writer, also an author, and we're actually going to take a quick break now on Outlook, but we'll be right back to speak more with Kelly Evans on today's program. Western. And we are back. Thank you for tuning into Outlook on this Monday morning, final show of November. Thanks for joining us and me and Brian here today on the show. We are speaking another great guest today, Kelly Evans, and we are talking about audio description 
And we're talking to you, Kelly, about your writing process as an AD writer. Thank you again for being on the show today. No problem. I'm I'm so happy to be here. It's been lovely so far. I know it just flies right by, right? It's uh, it's amazing. <laughs> it that really we, yeah. does. I look. I just took a look at the clock, and it's like, holy cow! No, I love it. It's, it's great. Um, writing's quite a solitary um, profession. Right. You basically, like right now, right now, novel wise, I'm my my head is usually back in the uh, Renaissance Italy. So it's you know I'll write for hours and then kind of surface again and realize I haven't said a word for hours. So it's lovely <laughs> having a, co- a talk with someone. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I live on my own and I, I have that same thing where I, I do the two ra- this show radio show and a music show. So I kind of get a lot of my talking out there, but I do spend a lot of time by myself and uh, I, I get that for sure. And I yeah. Yeah. I think it's great that you mentioned the, uh, the the medieval writing as well. We should maybe talk briefly about that today too, because I do also think that's interesting. But so much, so much to talk about with audio description, Karen. I'm really glad that you lined up Kelly Evans for today on, on Outlook. Yes, and I think before we went on air, you were saying that you are a Black Plague expert, or have you studied a lot of that? Black, that's yeah, what you might know. yeah, I've studied it a lot. I wrote. I, oh, okay, so I'm I write historical fiction, but I went through. A, I, I'm a massive horror fan, like in in the background. Um, so I I had to get a couple of horror novels out of my system, and they took place during the Black Death. So this was I don't know maybe about ten. No, this was actually no actually no no about five years. But anyway, um, so I did a ton of research on the Black Death for it because when I write my novels, um, and it's actually this is applicable to the AD work that I do. Right. Um, when I, when I when I write my novels, I even if they're like they're all they're historical fiction, so there is the fiction element. But despite the fact that there's the fiction element, I I am I real I I do write about the historical. I write it mostly about historical women, and I do a lot of research. Like I'm really 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 trying to be as accurate as possible um, with my history in my books because historical fiction readers are just notoriously picky. And that's, that's a compliment to them because (laughs) yeah, um, they will pick, they will, they are, they will pick out, um, anything that you get wrong. Um, so I do a lot of research and I ended up doing a lot of research on the black death and plagues in general. And then I started, once COVID started, I started getting asked on to sort of like some shows to talk about it. And it's just, you, it's just, when you study history, you, it just cycles through. It's just the same things happening over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which I'm, is a, crazy. I'm a history buff too in, in some ways. Yeah. I, I like to write a bit of historical fictions myself, not going back quite that far, but it is important for accuracy and these sort of things. Mm. Again, not so that yeah. so you don't, so your reader doesn't get taken out of it by, if you know, if it's fantasy or something and it's a, a whole world building sort of situation, that's, that's one thing, but you still, you want to have consistency and you want to have, you know, sort of accuracy that, that people, believe what they're reading so uh, but I do see how these things are applicable and your skills can be transferable but we'd happily um, share your writing and if anybody listening today is interested in that period or that kind of that genre of writing uh, we will we can share in the comment in the podcast notes about your your other work Um, but um, because yeah I love to talk to writers yeah that'd be great but um, the, the point I was making about the AD thing is all the research I do um, and I, I'm, I'm away from horror now. So yeah, I wrote Black Death's horror, a couple of novels. I, I write, um, I guess it's mostly biographical fiction. So I, I write about real women who, people mostly know about the men. It's always the men who are right. written about yeah. history. And I'm very, 
and I'm very like, okay, you know what? There's that. a bunch of women in there. They have, yeah. they have stories too. So yeah, it's um, like nobody, um, men, men, I, I men, just, Joan of Arc, men, men, men. I yeah, seriously, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, and I'm actually really happy because earlier this year I, I released um, a novel about a a, a, a Renaissance artist in um, Bologna in Italy, and it's actually been shortlisted. Um, for a for a tosser award, so I'm very happy about that. Congrats! Yeah, um, but but that again, that involves a lot of research. I will do months and months right. of research, and then I'll do research while I'm writing. And the way this applies, I can use this for my um, for my AD work. Is so, for example, um, this the show that I'm I just I mentioned that I'm working on now. I, I've just started working on it, and I hadn't seen it before, but I was familiar with it. But what I did was I actually went, did research on all the characters, did research on the first couple of episodes I watched the first episode myself a couple of times before I even started writing um, writing the the 80s script for it because I just wanted a sense of this is the time period these are the characters I need to understand the characters I need to you know I need to get my language into it I need to get my head into it basically yeah. um, so I, I, I do yeah. Um, I mean, you know, ratio wise, I do almost as much research for new TV shows and new movies and stuff that I'm working on AD wise as I do for my novels. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing is anybody who's is good at their job in audio description or whatever else, but specifically as audio description goes, you, you do need to research it so that you, like you say, if you're writing a children's story, uh, writing AD for a children's show or it's for historical uh, a f- historical film or uh, a comedy you have to know the the subject matter and these days with mm. the internet there's really no excuse to not to read up on whatever your whatever the topic is so that when you write it it, it you do the best job you can and uh, but um yeah I love how those all these skills are transferable for you and <laughs> uh, I just think that it brings it alive. They really are it's, it's mm-hmm. almost yeah, it's almost like my career up to this point. It was kind of like led me to this point. Like I, I mm-hmm. I've got my project management skills. I've got my IT skills. Um, I use my project management skills from working in finance to manage my writing career, which includes both my novels and my AD work. Because um, I, I, I kind of uh, life has gotten in the way the last couple of um, months, but I, I'm, I'm fairly nearly sort of writing full time um, AD work, and then I'm kind of working on finishing, hopefully finishing this novel. Um, in my in the evenings, just so that I can you know, there's just because there's a lot of work to do, and I enjoy doing it. Um, but yeah, it does take time to, especially if you've never seen something before. Um, so, for example, this past summer, um, early spring to summer, um, I worked. Um, I was working for another company, and I did a, a, a dance show that was on TV. And the thing with dance shows is obviously there are like two three minute songs that you have to describe mm-hmm. and that's one of the challenging things about writing um 80 scripts for a writer is you can't talk to someone for three minutes you can't describe for three minutes straight so and the, and the thing is with this industry is there's no fast rules yet yeah um it's no. it's sort of an evolving industry everything's very malleable at the moment so depending on who you work with or who you work for, you know, um, there's going to be different rules. There's no one set, like there's no set of standards yet. So we're kind of making, it sounds like we're, you know, kind of cowboys, but we're not, we're kind of making it up as we go along. Um, so basically, um, if you've got like the rule I tend to follow is, um, and I did a TV show that actually had eight minute long 
montage at the end of the episode that was just music with two lines of dialogue. Yeah, a lot of shows <laughs> that do that. that. Yeah, yeah, that won't mean a lot to people. But if you sit, sit, set your timer for a minute and sit and don't do anything. Um, a teacher did this to us when we were kids. Um, I think in grade two. It was crazy, two or three. And she's like, okay, this is how long a minute is. And I don't think people realize that's a long time. So eight minutes of someone talking nonstop at you. No, it, you just, you cannot, that's yeah, torture. And it's, you it's, cannot do that. Does that one? Yeah. It's so much like you were talking so about, we talked about with the, the, the balancing and, and fitting the situation when you yeah, describe uh-huh. it. You Obviously, there's, there's a lot you can talk about if people are dancing and stuff, but at the same point, you do want to space it out and give a little bit of room for it to breathe. And it's it's that balance sometimes of less is more in some ways. I mean, audio description a little bit different maybe, but it is that balance. And I, I do find this this fascinating, but uh, continue what you were talking about there. I just, I do think that I've never well, haven't no, yeah, thought about it as much so- for dance, but that's that's great. Yeah, well, I've done a couple of dance shows. I did a, um, I did a First Nations dance show, which meant being um, sensitive to the First Nations um, culture, which was, it was a fantastic opportunity. Um, I've learned so much. I learn a lot from this job. Like, I get a lot yeah. out of this job as well. I learn a lot. So much variety, um, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but with the, with the dance show, so basically the way I work, I'll do maybe three or four sentences, not huge long ones and then I'll leave maybe four or five seconds between like like so you can hear some music and especially if it's a dance show you want to hear the music yeah um and then I'll do maybe another you know three or four sentences and then another little gap and you just break it up like that so that eight minute sequence that I had to do it took me about I think it took me about two hours to get through eight minutes just because um you know, you, you have to time it properly and you have to go and, and you know, occasionally there might've been a laugh or there might've been, um, if there's a significant noise, you can you can write in the script. So, you know, for example, so-and-so sits at the table eating her cereal and you put a little note in, knock on door, for so the, so the person reading it knows, okay, I'll read this. Okay, there's gonna be a knock on the door, I'll pause. TV show says knock on door and then they continue. So you can put in little notes um, for the for the person who's going to be you know the voice actor so they know what to say you can say do this more quickly say this a little bit more slowly um pause for three seconds here because there's an you know but again it's all it's done differently by different people some people will do like a little code um like there's a special effect noise here colon and then you know put the noise in brackets um, someone talks, you know, pause, one, two, three, you know, so there's a lot of, um, there's, yeah, so the company I'm working with at the moment, we, we're kind of rewriting the guideline. Um, it's already been rewritten once since I started, and I, I've not been with them actually that long. Um, so, yeah, it's it's constantly evolving. Yeah, it's funny. I, I think of all the different places you find audio description now, it's more and more all the time, like the the entertainment news magazine entertainment tonight has audio description now which you know there oh, wow. are there are very few spots that that you can insert it when there's so much dialogue as you say it's all about time stamping and about power of the pause as a recent guest used that term and but also like the other day on Netflix I watched the Trevor Noah comedy special there was description on that mm. and it's great cuz you know those comedians do a lot of facial expressions it's part of the act and so yeah. those are things you'll miss if you yeah. can't see. I, comedy specials are great because it's all audio for someone like me. But then if you want to know a funny expression he adds to the effect of his joke, it's great to have the auto-describer pipe in when 
necessary and appropriate. And uh, so it's funny, all the places it's popping up. And uh, this just leads to more and more conversation about it. So anybody who's just listening, um, we are today talking with Kelly Evans, who is an audio description writer and a novelist. And uh, it's great that it's been a discussion today because... Like you say earlier, you asked me a question and, and we don't want our guests <laughs> to feel afraid to, to ask us something in the middle of what's, I guess, supposed to be us interviewing our guests because we want to have a conversation which is kind of illustrating the point about audio description being a collaborative process with the quality yeah. control, the writers, the engineers, the voice actors, and everybody who puts it all together. And I do just want to quickly mention again that it came up a bit briefly earlier, but the fact that you had mentioned when Carrie brought up the, the quality control stuff and that a lot of the people that do sort of look over your stuff are are sighted people. And I just, mm. it just, it's one of those things I, I, I can't quite stop thinking about because it, I do wonder a lot of times, like we've talked a little bit about on this show, how the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, who you brought up earlier, an organization mm. we sometimes have mixed thoughts on, but it, you know, it's currently run by the, the CEO is sighted and it's just sometimes it's like it's a community that you're serving who are, are a blind community and it's it's just not the, always the best example and it really is trying to change perceptions out there to be for people to feel more comfortable getting more involved with different intersectionalities different people with different disabilities and get those people involved in the process because they are the generally the, the main users of this stuff and it only makes sense if you think about it that they should be the ones most involved and it's it's just something that I wanted to kind of mention again I don't know if there's any anything else specific to say about it but I just it just kind of hit me a little bit and I wanted to sort of remind our listeners about that but well my hopes are that when the industry starts expanding and that the um, the TV stations actually start putting more resources into this because let's face it tv stations are a business like everything else yeah. they're always trying they're always looking at they're always looking at their bottom line and it is a small um, obviously I, it's a small I, segment I, of the population the blind blind community but it's still yeah. is a in the grand scheme is still a big group of people but uh yeah yeah exactly but the thing is right now is that the jobs out there don't like you can't just go to an employment agency um or you can't you have to know at the moment, there's no central source to like to outsource jobs for these types of companies. So there's a lot of companies. They have a lot of different shows, different clients, different you know different genres, whatever. Um, some people have internal writers, like a, some of the bigger places like Disney. They will have their own writers to do their own stuff. Right. Um, some people will outsource it to other places. There's no employment agency that deals with this sort of stuff. So um, I mean, I found my first job via a Twitter like a tweet on Twitter and I found my second job through the Facebook group I was approached um, by someone who needed more writers so until there's a central agency or something I'm, I'm and, and or unless you know where to go like unless someone produces here's a list of all the audio people that are you know here the companies that are doing it yeah. go and look at all their websites because for ages I kept an eye on websites um, partially cited people uh, well, anybody really. Um, it's just going to be difficult to find those jobs unless we get more organized and, and start sort of like have some sort of resource for. It. Yes. Well, as as we say, you're that's true. And somewhere like the American Council of the Blind in the U.S., they have uh, extensive uh, resources on their website for audio description in all in in all those areas. And uh, so. Like you say, there's small companies, bigger ones doing this work, and the more word spreads that it's that it's necessary and it's there's a demand for it, uh, the more it's popping up. But as you say, you came to this through a path in your life 
all these other jobs you've done and work yeah. you do. Right. And, yeah. and so I think for anybody who may be listening to the show, if you think this sounds interesting, uh, there are ways kind of you have to hustle and kind of go looking for these opportunities. Mm. So I don't know if you have any other tips for people on, on how you've stumbled into it and how uh, th- they could maybe do the same. Like you said, social media, was that maybe a, the biggest one for yeah, you? Yeah, that's, that's the biggest one. Yeah. Um, follow any audio description groups, like the one that I've, I've met you and, um, and Ruth through, mm-hmm. because that's, I mean, that's where someone actually got directly in touch with me once I'd introduced myself to people on that. Basically talk to people, go onto those groups, get involved, um, get involved with your local communities if they've got some sort of um, accessibility projects going on. Um, basically, just you have to put yourself out there. Right, you, you do. They're not, they're not going to come to you. Um, exactly. yeah. Good point. Uh, I mean, okay, I kind of had someone come to me, so that's probably not a good idea. But I did go out. <laughs> I did introduce myself. I did join the group. You know, I talked to people, and then, then I was approached by someone. So I'm not saying that's going to happen to everybody. But um, the other thing is, if you want to get into this job, the first thing I would recommend is turn the audio description on your TV for at least a week and watch everything with audio description on. News, drama, comedies, romance, everything, children's TV shows. Get as much in as possible because that way, if someone does approach you, you can at least say you're familiar with it. You understand the cadence. You understand the different languages that are needed for the different genres. That's the first step of getting into this. Watch a week with it on. Yeah, I think that's also a really great point because it's, as you've as you've uh, showed through all the examples you've given today, there is so much variety and so many different situations you get involved mm. in in this. It's not like one thing that you end up doing. So you do have to be, and it's like pretty much almost any any path this, these days, especially I think where it's not one specific thing usually it's a mixture of, of things and, and topics that you need to be familiar with so it really is important to expand your horizons and have that variety and, and have so many different situations you can ap- apply the skills to because yeah if you're just if you're like oh I've heard watch tons of action movies with audio description and that's it then you're you're going to limit yourself yeah. in that way right yeah exactly watch everything <laughs> just for a solid week at least and then <clears throat> sorry that'll give you an idea yeah, like you say, go into the menu on Netflix or Disney Plus. Go into SAP, the setting on your television provider. Uh, go on social media and search the term audio description and things will come up and then you'll make connections. And that's kind of what I've been trying to do as far as trying to get into some of the quality control side of things. Um But we do appreciate that it is sighted and blind people working all together uh, and... Absolutely. It should never be... It's not not like it should be one or the other in any way. But yeah, it's it's always good to have a mixture of perspectives involved. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we're coming down to the last 10 minutes here, but I did just want to sort of round off by talking a bit about the allyship that's needed, as we've been talking about, with the collaboration element of things so I'm I'm sure you're familiar with it's talked a lot about in these groups these days is TTS text to speech Mm. so that you know as we've said voice actors if if somebody's listening who wants to do voice acting work you know people do commercials there's a lot of work for a voice actor who gets some training and and reaches out in multiple places but um these days, a lot of these companies, they're seeing there's a demand for it. Someone like Amazon, 
but yet they don't always want to spend the money, even though they'll spend money on craft service for every, you know, every other area behind the scenes and production and, and making it shows and programs run well and create, make them, you know, well, well created. But when it comes to this, they're like, Oh, we, we can just get a, an automated voice to read instead Mm -hmm. of hiring voice actors. And a lot of blind people do that work as well. They, they voice it. And, so I don't know if you have thoughts about it, but I, I really appreciate meeting someone like you and making connections with people like you doing this work because we need everybody who understands anything about this field to speak up and, and talk to these companies and say it's not like maybe for certain documentaries or very few things. Uh, because not all blind people need the same thing and like the same thing when the, with their audio description, but we hear a lot of audio as blind people with our iPhones that talk and computers with voice over and, and uh, you know, we need to hear humans reading and, and like I said, to, feel, to fit seamlessly into the programming we want to enjoy like everyone else. And we, we don't like that they outsource it to cheap, to you know, to make it cheaper for them and just get these uh, robotic voices reading this stuff. Um, so I don't know if you've, I've encountered that a lot and in, in if you don't want to speak any actual examples, but appreciate <laughs> for people listening and for yourself, if we can all work together to let these companies know that it's not okay to skimp on it and to have us listen to more robotic voices because we hear those all the time and when we want to watch a movie, we want it to be a personal experience. Yeah, that's the big debate right now, isn't it? It's one, well, one of the bigger debates, it's real person versus robot voice i know that's not the correct technical term for it and <laughs> well that's the what correct, i think the yeah. Tech, it's like a yeah the correct voice I, I mean that that but that gives it a slant that i shouldn't be giving it but that automatically kind of tells you just i cannot remember the proper vo- the, the proper term for it i'm sorry well it's called tts but yeah, yeah. Um, text to speech yeah, yeah i i um I, I've, I've heard it called something else as well and now i'm trying to figure out see that's the other thing about this industry there's there's different terms for the same thing. Like audio description, describe video are the same thing, but depending yeah. on who you're talking to, right. someone will understand one or the other. Um, but yeah, with, with regard to that, that's kind of the big discussion right now. And unfortunately the companies, and I've, I've seen this before um, working for some of the bigger banks is that um, when it comes down to the bottom line, there's certain things that are automatically on the chopping block. And so for yeah. example, for big banks and for companies it's training, training automatically goes, um, you know things like anything to do with that automatically goes which which means that your workforce suffers because they're not trained properly which means your customer base suffers that's just basic you know economics it trickles yeah. down um yeah. yeah and it's exactly the same with audio description if you if if you're looking at your bottom line you're trying to tighten your belt you're going to get rid of real people because they cost more sadly yeah. the problem is is that you're going to get less people watching your shows if you go that direction, because as you, you said, we've already got enough electronic voices. I mean, I got rid of my Alexa because I just couldn't stand her talking to me. <laughs> yeah. When I did, she just she just kept talking to me for no reason. It creeped me out. But anyway, the voice <laughs> just drove me nuts. Um, we've got enough electronic voices in our life. You're right. Um, and I, I actually come down on the side of yes, hire real people to do this because you just don't get the tone of voice. You don't get the richness that you need. You don't get the quality of a human voice with, um, I mean, they're good, don't get me wrong, 
Um, well, some of the, the fake voices. They're getting better and better are, at making them sound more yeah. realistic. But still, it's. I think yeah. it really ties back to the point that you made earlier when you say that that audio description is an art, and that's the thing where yeah, it's like I've heard these songs that they say oh, this song was all made by you know, you know, a software. There's no human involvement really in this, and you know, it, it can be kind of neat in, in, in some ways, but but wow. really, it just isn't. Yeah. It's not the same. There's still this thing about it where it's you know, when it's a actual human, it's it's much more organic and real and. We need that in, in all areas of life, but especially in, in stuff like this, where you want it to fit with the movie. You want it to be this. You don't. If a, if it's just a robotic voice, it'll take away from the experience of the of the time that went into the movie and the acting and all that kind of stuff. So I really do think that is well, a you, very you just important point. Yeah, you just don't get the drama in a robotic voice, and you get the human. A human can interpret, which is one of the things that, as a scriptwriter, I should have mentioned. Um, one of the things we're told not to do is interpret. So, for example, ad, um, mm-hmm. adjectives. I have to be really, really careful using anything with an L-Y on it. So if someone is looking at me, they're gazing at me um, curiously. Uh, well, are they are they actually gazing at me curiously or is that me interpreting how they look? Yeah. So that's when I write the script. But once I write that script and let's say they're gazing at me and they're frowning, so I, I stick with that because you describe exactly what you see. Well, then the voice actor can then put a, a slight tilt on it. He gazes at me frowning. You know, instead of a, instead of a voice that just goes, he gazes at me frowning. You know, like just, you just get a more, you get a better experience with a human. They can interpret things better. They know what's going on in the scene around them. Um, whereas the robotic voices, they just, yeah, they're getting better, but they're not quite there yet. Well, it's a, what we say all the time. Um, I'll say this as we're wrapping up today is that, Blind people often, for as an example, we feel like we got to take what we get. We got to be happy with what we're given. Throw us a bone, and yeah. and, and that's just not fair. Uh, you know, there are realities nope, in life. Not but, at all. Uh, but I appreciate you bringing up there at the end about all these other topics that we. Yeah, there's so much we can cover on these shows, and it's one of these things that. Yeah, it's just been such we a can't, uh, talk about it all in one hour. Such a rich discussion today, and. Yeah, I can't, Thanks so much, Kelly Evans, for joining us. No problem. It's gone by so quickly. I had such a great time. Thank you for having me on. Yes, and uh, we did want to say that our father's birthday is coming up on Wednesday, so happy birthday to him. And your birthday is coming up as well. So thank you, Kelly, and we hope you continue to work in these fields. And I love to stay in touch because uh, we can have great dialogue on the show and also off. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. So I hope you have a great birthday and uh, happy holidays. And um, Thanks so much. Thanks we'll, for this conversation. We'll see everyone in December. No problem. Thank you. Send us an email. Outlook on RadioWestern at gmail.com Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.